the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Praise to the God who reigns above. John the Baptist started his public ministry 30 years after he was born to Elizabeth and Zacharias, an elderly couple who had been barren for many years. John was baptizing people in the baptism of repentance, telling people to turn away from their sin and return to the one true living God. John was sent to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. While baptizing people, the scribes and Pharisees came out to see what the commotion was about John's ministry. John called them out for their hypocrisy. We continue with Pastor Will as we look at John's ministry as he baptizes Jesus here in Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Now Jesus and John the Baptist are adults. John the Baptist has begun his ministry, and as part of his ministry was to prepare the way uh, for the Messiah. And so when Jesus comes to John uh, to be baptized, uh, that is going to be the preparation for the start of Jesus's ministry. Now, John, in his teaching of the preparation for the Messiah to come, he taught the people that came that Jesus wanted to transform people's lives. He wants to transform our lives by cleaning out the things that, that don't please God and by giving us his spirit to empower us to do what does please God. And so uh, in Jesus's baptism, we've seen his own dependence upon the Lord through prayer, his own dependence upon the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life that pleases God. And so now as we look at, uh, continue to look at his baptism, baptism, we're going to examine the final aspect of it in detail. And the, the final aspect is one that's so important because it shows us the nature of the Godhead clearly. So chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 21 and focus on verse 22 and then read through the end of the chapter. It says, now when all the people were baptized, they're coming to John for being, to be baptized, to change the, in a sense to signify a change in their lives, a repentance, they're living for the Lord now. It says, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, so we looked at last week, the heaven was opened and the Holy Ghost descending in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, you are my beloved son and you I am well pleased. Now we see the Holy Spirit, the sky is opening up and, and through this tear in time and space, the Spirit of God descends in the form of a dove, a physical form so people could see it. It rests upon Jesus, descends upon him to empower him. But you know, before we, we move any further, we probably need to ask the question of who is this Holy Ghost? You know, it sounds like something you might find at a scary, crazy church. You know, what's the Holy Ghost? Well, it's just an, an old way of speaking of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. And, and that's important to understand. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, he is not a force. 
force or a power. He's not an it. Sometimes when people talk about the Holy Spirit, they kind of talk about him that way. You know, well, I got the goosebumps or I got, you know, you know, I felt a tremor, you know, or something like that. And, and this idea that like, you know, somebody turned on the electricity too high and it was vibrating or something. You know, that's, that's not what he is. He's not an it. He's not a power. He's not a force. He is a person. He is the third member of the Godhead. When we look at the scriptures, you say, well, how do you know he's a person? Well, whenever the scriptures refer to him, they refer to him with a personal pronoun. They call him he. Turn over to John chapter 14 with me. We'll read verses 16 and 17. Jesus, he's about to go to the cross, and he, he's praying. You say, I've prayed to the Father for you guys, I've, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Now, interesting, that word another, there's two words for another in Greek. One is another of the same kind, another, and then the other word is another of a different kind. This word here means another of a same kind. So the idea is Jesus had been that comforter to them, that helper. The word comforter means someone who comes alongside to aid or assist. He had been that for them. But now he says, I'm going to pray the Father, and he, the Father, shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. I'm not going to be here forever. I'm going to go to the cross and die and then ascend to my Father after I rise from the dead. But he will remain with you forever to come alongside to help you. Who is it? Verse 17, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you. Are you catching my emphasis? They're all personal pronouns there. There's no it involved here, okay? Look at John 16, verse 13. We're going to see the same repetition. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. Whatsoever he shall speak, that shall uh, hear that he shall speak, and he will show you things to come. I mean, it's almost like the Lord's like, can we please understand this correctly? You know, he has an overemphasis of the personal pronoun so we don't misunderstand who he is. The Holy Spirit is a person. He has personal characteristics. We saw in John chapter 14, you know, where it mentions here that he's going to come and he's going to, you know, be another comforter. But look at verse 26. What will he do? Verse 26 of chapter 14 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in in my name, by the way, that's all three members of the Godhead there, he shall teach you all things. A force or a power doesn't teach. The Holy Spirit teaches, just like I'm teaching here. You know, in, in John 16, verse 13, when it says that he will guide you into all truth, he guides For he shall not speak of himself. He speaks. Each letter of Revelation closes with the exhortation, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. A force or an essence or a power doesn't do that. In Romans 15, 30, it says the Holy Ghost, you know, that that he sheds abroad God's love in our, our hearts. He loves. He puts that love in our hearts. He shows it to us. He loves us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when it's going through all the gifts of the Spirit, it mentions this is the mind of the Spirit. This is the will of the Spirit. And we talk about, you know, a force of nature. You know, we talk about like hurricane, the hurricane Maria that came through and devastated so many areas. You know, I mean, we called it a force or a power. It didn't have a mind, though. It doesn't have a will. The Holy Spirit does possess a mind and a will. The Bible says that he can be blasphemed, which means slandered. He can be grieved. He can be quenched. You ever, you know, somebody, where sometimes my kids are, you know, they're trying to explain themselves. And I just, stop, stop. 
done, we're done, you know? You can do that to the Spirit of God. He's a, he's a person. Where he's saying, hey, could we talk about this? No, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I'm not listening. Sometimes we do that, don't we? You know, we shut off our hearts because we don't want to deal with something. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, Peter said, you've lied to the Spirit of God. You can't lie to a force or a power. So he's a person. He has personal characteristics. Now, what kind of person is he? Well, he's different than us because not only is he a person, but he's God. In Psalm 139, David said, where can I hide from your, your spirit, Lord? If I go, I go into the heights of the heavens, you're there. If I go into the depths of the sea, you're there. You know, the Spirit's everywhere. Just like the Lord, he's everywhere. He's omnipresent. The Spirit of God is omnipresent. Back in John chapter 14, verse 26, notice here what it says about him. In John 14, 26, it says, he shall teach you how many things? All things. And bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I have said unto you. Listen, I've been teaching the Bible for a long time. I've memorized a lot of scripture. I've got a book in front of me and I couldn't tell you everything Jesus said. But the Spirit of God, he knows everything. He can, and and have you ever had this happen? If you've never had it happen, it's an interesting thing. I remember when I was, I was a young Christian and uh, I was just really hungry for the scriptures and I was reading, reading, reading. But you know, you don't retain everything, right? I mean, how many of you, you started reading Ephesians and, and maybe it's the first time you really started reading through the Bible and, and you, you kind of were like, man, I don't understand a word of what I just read. That's how kind of I was at that time. Because when you're young, it's like reading, it's like reading, you know, a different language at times because you're not used to it. You have to, you have to keep practicing. You have to keep reading. And the more you, more you read, you know, if I were to open up a book on, you know, you know, engineering or, you know, how to build a computer, there might be some parts I'd understand, but there'd be a lot. I'd have no clue what it meant. But the more I did it, the more familiar I would get with it. The scriptures are no different. As a young believer, I'm, you know, I'm learning, I'm, I'm reading, but I'm not really remembering a whole lot. And I remember I was in the car and I was sitting in the back seat and, and there was a, a guy who was driving uh, who had some, some issues with some things. And the Lord, I just, you know, and the, and the Bible says, da 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 The Bible says, da 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 The Bible says, da 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 Another person from our church was in the car with us. And we, you know, they ended up dropping us off. And the guy looked at me, he goes, man, where'd you pull that stuff from? You're just memorizing scripture left and right. And I looked at him and I go, I don't even know where it came from. I know I've probably read it, but I, I, don't, I don't know it. I didn't ever memorize that. And I've had so many times where that's happened to me where the Lord, just a verse will come to my mind. I know I've read it, you know, at some point, but I, I never memorized it. Well, it's because the spirit of God knows it. <laughs> He's the one who wrote it, you know? He knows it perfectly because he knows all things. He's omniscient. You know, I'm not omniscient. No other person in the world is omniscient. No other created being is omniscient. But God, who is not created but always was, he's omniscient. You know, which brings us to the fact, another attribute of God, he's eternal. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14. It mentions that Jesus offered himself through the eternal spirit there. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowered Jesus to go all the way. That's why, why he's being baptized here and the Spirit is coming upon him because he was gonna be the way a man should be, which is a man who is dependent upon, filled with, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what Adam was supposed to be. That's what we're supposed to be now. So Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he offered himself up to the Lord on the cross, but it calls him the eternal Spirit. He's the one who was and is and is to come. He's eternal. Only God's eternal. I'm going to live for eternity, but I'm not eternal. I had a beginning. 
I had a beginning. There was a point in time when, when God, you know, at some point in time when the life was created and he breathed into that, those cells, and, and as a result, will was created. And, and my unique soul and spirit, it was placed into first connection that when the first, you know, when life was created, when the, the, that first cell was there, and he breathed something into me. I'm not eternal in that sense, the way that God is, that he always was. But the Spirit of God is because he's God. Romans chapter 8, verse 11, gives one other attribute of God that we see the Spirit of God has. He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent. In Romans eight eleven, it says, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, then he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwells in you. Listen, I know God could raise the dead through me praying for somebody because God can do anything, but it wouldn't be me doing it. I don't have the ability to just bring, you know, empty graveyards, but Jesus can, the Father can, and the Bible says that the Spirit can. He can just create life. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. You say, well, that's just, you know, maybe coincidence, Pastor Will. Okay, well, the Bible just comes out and says it. Acts chapter 5. It says, but a certain man verse 1, chapter 5, named Ananias. With Sapphira, his wife, they sold a possession, but they kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it. She knew that they, they, what they did was just many people were selling their possessions and giving it to the church, and they were kind of a communal environment at the first. That didn't work out well, um, so it's not biblical to do it that way. It's just how they tried. It didn't work. But they were, they, so they sold their possessions, but they kept back part for themselves. There was nothing wrong with them keeping back part for themselves. The problem was, is they presented it to the leaders of the church and the church saying, they laid it at the apostles' feet. They did it in front of everybody saying, hey, we sold everything and gave it to, we're giving it to the Lord when they kept back apart. They wanted to appear more spiritual than they were. So look at verse three. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, while it was still in your possession, was it not your own? Couldn't you do with it whatever you wanted to? And after it was sold, was it not in your own power? I mean, after you sold it, you didn't have to give it all to the Lord. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied unto men, but unto who? But it said they lied to the Holy Spirit earlier. Yes, that's because the Holy Spirit's God. (laughs) So the Bible just comes out and says it. So, I mean, hopefully this is enough, you know, uh, good, you know, Bible application here for you and evidence for you to show that the Spirit of God, there's so much more. And if you want to learn more, you can go online and and listen to the Holy Spirit series I taught because I talked about this in much more detail. But I wanted to identify who he is here because it's God himself, the third person of the Godhead, who's resting upon Jesus here to empower him. And that's what we need in our lives as well. I don't need to just kind of, I mean, we need to have self-discipline, right? I mean, and even that's a fruit of the Spirit, self-control. We need to have self-discipline in our lives. We need to, you know, be those who resist the devil. But ultimately, well, who's the one who empowers us to do that? It needs to be something supernatural. It can't be just my willpower. My willpower eventually will fail. That's what Romans 7 is all about. He says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, that's what I do. You know, and he ends up, you almost see him pulling his hair out. Oh, wretched man that I am, you know. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And the answer isn't a method, it's a person. He says, but I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then in Romans chapter eight, he talks about the power of God's spirit to change us. So we need that just like as Jesus here was our example and the power of God's spirit resting upon him. After the spirit descends upon him, a voice comes from heaven, which is the father, because the spirit is upon Jesus right now. 
which said, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Literally, the phraseology in, in the original language is, you are my son, the beloved one. I love that. You are my son, the beloved one. The word beloved there, it means the object of one's affection, one who is dear. Now that's interesting because this proves that there had to be more than one person in the Godhead. For if God is love, which he is, then who did he love before he created anything? Who was the object of his love before he created anything? Well, Jesus. He is his beloved son. He says he's the beloved one, the one who was always beloved, the one who was always dear to him. So that means Jesus is eternal, which means Jesus is God. Now, since the Holy Spirit's God and Jesus is God, then this means that God is triune, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you say, what does that mean? Well, let me give you a biblical definition of what we would call the Trinity. Now, some people take issue with the phrase Trinity because they say, well, the word Trinity is never in the Bible. Yes, there's a lot of words we use to describe things that are not in the Bible. That's just the way we describe it. You know, I don't think uh, as you go into the pearly gates, you know, and you go and you see the throne of God, I don't think it says Trinitarian throne room, you know? I don't think it says welcome to the home of the Trinity, okay? I get that, but that's how we describe things. But let me give you a biblical definition of what the Bible teaches about the Godhead. It says, or teaches, that there is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons. One God who eternally exists as three distinct persons. God is one essence, one in essence, and three in person. Okay? One in essence, and three in person. Now, these definitions express three crucial truths. The first truth is this, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct persons. For example, and if you've done this, please don't be offended because I hear Christians do it all the time and they're well-meaning, but it's heresy. Have you ever described the Trinity as this? Well, it's like me. I'm a father, I'm a husband, and I'm a pastor. That's called modal monarchianism. That's heresy, okay? That is not how the Godhead is because that would be one person with three distinct roles. That is not who God is. He is three distinct persons, okay? So you have the Father, you have the Son, and you have the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing that that definition taught us. The second part is each of those persons is, tr is fully and truly God. So it's not like Jesus is a lesser God, for example, like Jehovah's Witnesses teach to a degree, or Mormons teach. He's not a lesser God. He is fully God in every way. He is all God. He is not, it's not like there's this hierarchy or structure, you know, where the Father, you know, is a little bit greater than Jesus. You say, wait a second, I thought Jesus said my Father is greater than I. Yes, in the role that Jesus took where the Bible says he humbled himself and became a man and put himself in submission to the Father, he talks about all that. There's lots of scripture that talks about the incarnation and how he willingly subjected himself to the Father. But intrinsically, you know, by nature, he's not less than the Father, he is fully God. The Holy Spirit's fully God. You know, he's not, he's not like the, sometimes the way churches treat the Holy Spirit is kind of like he's the forgotten part of the Trinity, you know? And we're kind of, they get kind of afraid to talk about him at all. Now, the Holy Spirit likes to remain behind the scenes because what's his job? To bring glory to Jesus, right? 
You always know a church is filled with the Holy Spirit when they're talking about Jesus a lot because that's what he does. He draws the attention to Jesus. That being said, you know, as we sang this morning, we sang to him because he's God. He's fully God. You know, he's not this lesser G God, you know. He's fully God. And the third principle that it taught us, that definition, is that there is only one God. You say, that's impossible. How can it be three persons and one God? Let me start off by saying you're not going to be able to wrap your mind fully around that because, I mean, just try to wrap your mind fully around eternity. You know, how many times as a kid, I know I would ask my parents, they say, mom, dad, whoever's in front of me, who made God? And they say, well, no one made God, son. You know this. We've told you this a thousand times. Yeah, but I understand, you know, you know, who made him before, you know, before eternity, you know, and it just because our brains operate from beginning to end. We don't, we operate in finiteness. We don't operate in infiniteness, but God, he's eternal. So he always was. So there are parts that are difficult for us to fully wrap our minds around. Maybe you've heard the Trinity described this way. It's kind of like an egg, you know? It's kind of like, you know, you've got the shell and you've got the yolk and you've got the white. That's also heresy. All your descriptions are probably heresy, so don't give them. So, no, seriously, I hear Christians try to do it, you know? And again, it's well-meaning, but it's all heresy, you know? Because really there's nothing on earth that, that fully you know, describes it. I've heard people, Holy Spirit described as water. He's like, you know, it's steam and it's ice or it's this, heresy. The best way I can explain it is this. What sounds like a contradiction isn't necessarily. God in three persons, one God, three persons, one essence, three distinct persons. They're two separate points, two separate statements. You know, I heard a, one theologian describe it this way. I don't remember what Charles Dickens' book it was, but it starts off with the phrase, or the worst of times and the best of times. Now, that's a contradiction, isn't it? How can it be the worst, best of times and worst of times, right? That's a contradiction, right? And yet you know what he means when he says that, don't you? You know that in some ways, you know, you look and go, yeah, it is the worst of times, and yet there's wonderful things that are happening during the conditions that are bad. When we talk about God being one person, I mean, one essence and three persons, they're not contradictory, they're two separate statements to define who God is. Now, again, try to wrap your mind around it. You'll find great difficulty because you're a finite being. But the Bible declares those things clearly. We see all three truths in Jesus' baptism, which is why this moment is mentioned in every gospel. But it's not the only place where we see all three distinctly mentioned as God. You know, in John chapter 16, we read it earlier. One place where I showed you all three were present, but there's another one. John 16 one, a place that we read earlier that I didn't point out. In John 16, 13, we read that, but let's read verses 14 through 15. It says, The Spirit will come, he'll guide us into truth, for he won't speak about himself. For whatever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. We'll look at verse 14. He shall glorify me. Wait a second. God says he'll share his glory with no one else. No one else, right? He says, I alone am God. There's none beside me, right? So how can the Spirit who is God, be glorifying Jesus if Jesus isn't God. And yet we see them both distinctly mentioned here, and yet we know there's one God. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and he'll show it unto you. But here we see the third aspect. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he shall take of mine, and he shall show it unto you. So everything that the Father has, Jesus has. But everything that Jesus has, he gives it to the Spirit to show to us. So all three distinct persons, and yet we know there's one God. God is three distinct persons in one essence. 
This is a concept that has baffled many people for centuries. Consider how the sun works. There are megatons of plasma and gas moving around, lots of energy moving and being given off in various forms of heat and light, traveling light years away to our planet and the other planets in our solar system. Now, when we step outside, we don't necessarily consider all of what it took for the sun to give us the sunshine, and yet we enjoy it anyway. We don't have to know every detail of God, this magnificent, awesome God who is far above our own understanding, to enjoy Him. The truth is, there is really only a little we truly understand of Him, and yet we can know Him deeply and more intimately than we even know each other. This is the amazing God we serve, both seen and unseen, knowable and unknowable. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.